Well, it is Christmas. I said this last week, and we're uh, at the cross. We're actually putting Jesus on the cross today, so we're a little backwards. But if you know me, uh, I believe that Christmas is every day, and so is Easter. If you have Christ, then it's, uh, it's all tied together. So we'll continue our journey through the Gospels here this morning and uh, pick up where we left off last week. And uh, I'm probably going to leave Jesus on the cross today, so it's all right. Just read the book. You'll find out what happens to him eventually. It'll be okay. Uh, but just to pick up where we left off last week, last week, uh, I, I want to touch on something in Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five, when <clears throat> the Jews had pretty much said, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucified Jesus. And that's basically what Pilate did, is he gave them Barabbas and he turned Jesus over to be crucified. They made this statement, all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Let me clarify real quick, because this was a question that was asked afterwards, was, was that just that generation or was that for all the Jews forever? Because it seems like it's continued to carry on uh, even in the 1940s uh, and even today. And I think you know what I'm talking about uh, with the Holocaust and everything else. Uh, that specific verse right there was about that generation. It was about when the Roman general Titus, not Tiberius, Titus came in and totally wiped out the Jews. Not the believing Jews, but the non-believing Jews. No believing in Jesus Jew died during that time. But 1.1 million Jews died, and so when it's talking about his blood be on us and our children, it was talking about that generation right there. Let's clarify that, all right? So now let's pick up where we left off, and I'm going to start in Luke chapter 23, verse 27. It says, A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. It had to have been pretty loud, right? You get that? including the women who were mourning it. And here, here's the crazy thing about that is because at one time, if you go back to the verse in Luke 19.41, remember when Jesus actually came into Jerusalem at one time, it says as he approached and he saw the city, Jerusalem, he wept for it. Now, it's vice versa. The women of Jerusalem are actually weeping for Jesus. And here's what he says to them. He says, but turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the women without children, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? 
That doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense, but if you go back to our history and look at 70 AD, you'll see that the Jews wished that they did not have children at that time. That their children would have to endure that destruction. I want to read to you how bad it really was. This is kind of like the uh, adult version here. So, uh, listen to this. This is Josephus. Remember, I've referred to Josephus several times. It's not a book in the Bible. He's a historian. He wrote in a book labeled War Number 6, Chapter 4. It says, She slew her son. This is during the whole tribulation of 70 A.D. and the Romans coming in and destroying the Jews. This is what was going on. She slew her son and then roasted him and eat the one half of him and kept the other half by her concealed. Upon the seditious came in presently and smelling the horrid scent of this food, they threatened her that they would cut her throat immediately if she did not show them what food she had gotten ready. She replied that she had saved a very fine portion of it for them. And Withal uncovered what was left of her son. Hereupon they were seized with a horror and amazement of mind and stood astonished at the sight when she said to them, This is mine own son, and what hath been done was my own doing. Come, eat of this food, for I have eaten of it myself. Do not you pretend to be more tender than a woman or more compassionate than a mother, but if you be so scrupulous and do abominate this my sacrifice as I have eaten the one half, let the rest be reserved for me also. After which those men went out trembling, never being never so much affrighted at anything as they were at this. And with some difficulty... They left the rest of that meat to the mother, upon which the whole city was full of this horrid action immediately, and whole everybody laid this miserable case before their own eyes. They trembled as if this unheard of action had been done by themselves. That's crazy. But when Jesus sat there and he literally wept for the city, he knew what was to come. He knew how bad it was going to be. And he basically told these ladies to stop weeping for him, but you need to weep for yourself because it's going to get really, really bad. They had no idea how bad it was going to get. Verse 32, it says, Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. Now I'm going to jump to Matthew 27, 34. If you haven't been with us, what we've done is we've taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've put them in chronological order. So we jump back and forth here. Matthew 27, verse 34. It says, They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. The reason they did this, when they mixed this gall, which is a very bitter vinegar type drink, they mixed it with wine. They did it for two reasons. Uh, One, to give him more pain 
the prisoners more pain, but also to make the prisoners easy to deal with. Jesus tasted this, and he's like, no, I don't want any of this. He's literally going to take on the full load of pain that's coming. He doesn't need any wine to deaden what's about to happen to him. Mark fifteen twenty three says, They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. What that did right there is it fulfilled prophecy. You turn to Psalm sixty nine twenty one, and it says, Instead, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Jesus just fulfilled prophecy. Now, uh, now we get to the cross. This is it. We're all the build up. We're finally there. We're getting to the cross, and we're going to talk about the first three hours of the cross. Verse twenty-four. It says, "Then they crucified him, and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get." Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. Nine in the morning. Last two weeks ago, we talked about a time, and in Matthew, it was based upon Roman time. And I told you in my translation, I didn't like the way they translated it. This one right here, it's 9 a.m. In some of your versions, it says it was the third hour. The third hour being based upon Jewish time, and Jewish time was always based upon sunrise to sunset so that would be 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. this was the third hour so now that we know it's nine o'clock in the morning and mark saying jesus is being crucified why is that so important because we know at the nine o'clock hour we talked several weeks ago about the hagigah sacrifice that was made at 9 a.m. This was an additional sacrifice. The Passover sacrifice was made on Thursday night, but then there was an additional sacrifice that was made the next morning on Friday morning at 9 a.m. It was important for God to get Jesus on the cross at 9 o'clock so he could be representative of that Hagigah sacrifice. And look at this. Mark says, that happened. You realize we've been talking for the last three or four months about this week. How it all had to like happen and now it's finally gotten to this point where Jesus has become the sacrifice. Look at Luke 23 verse 33. It says, When they arrived at the place called the skull, Golgotha, I showed you pictures of that last week. They crucified him there along with the criminals. One on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Let's look at what Jesus just said, the red letters. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. You have to ask the question, who's they? Who's they? I, I absolutely believe that Annas, the high priest that was recognized by the Jews, knew what he was doing. 
I have to believe that Caiaphas, the high priest that was recognized by the Romans, knew what he was doing. I have to believe that Pilate, who's the one that his wife told him, hey, this man is righteous, you don't want to do this, said he washed his hands of this, knew what he was doing. So I don't think Jesus was referring to Annas, Caiaphas, or Pilate. I think he was talking about the people who were followers of these leaders. I think that they really didn't understand what they were doing. They were just listening to their leadership of Annas, Caiaphas, and Pilate. I look at Acts chapter 3, verse 17. It's obviously after the cross. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. <laughs> uh, that's a great verse. I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I'm... The, the more and more I've thought about it this week, I, I kind of think that I'm part of the ignorant. I kind of pray that I'm part of the ignorant. Does that sound bad? Uh, because I really don't think that I know it all. And there's a, so much more that I need, have to learn. And I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to go, oh, wow, I didn't know much at all. So for me to sit here and say, you know, I, I got the whole Bible and I've got this all figured out, I, I kind of pray for some ignorance, right? And I'll say this, when I grew up as a child in my church at First Baptist Tulsa with all my Sunday school teachers and everything else, and I went to college and went to seminary and did all, I was taught Let's be honest, I was taught multiple mindsets because I had many different teachers. And then I came here to Indianapolis and started doing youth ministry and I began to teach whatever curriculum was handed to me. And then uh, one day Keith called me out about what I was teaching. You've heard this story over and over and over again. but And we began to meet and he began to point me... Uh, with a different mindset. And it was probably a whole year later after meeting with him every Tuesday morning at Panera for a year that I came to him one Tuesday morning and said, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. And my mindset changed. In other words, I was ignorant of what I believe now. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I chose to be ignorant. It was just what I was taught. I went with what I was taught, with what I had learned and everything else. And so uh, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with saying I was wrong. I'm okay with today. If you come up and challenge me with some passage of Scripture and you show me something different and I like, can filter that through the Spirit, and I'm wrong, I'll say it. I'll say it. I think that's where we need to be. It, 
we're changing all the time. If, if what I believed when I was eight was it, I'm in trouble. You with me? But then uh, people ask me all the time, well, you teach this stuff and, and people uh, disagree with you and everything else. Doesn't that make you upset? Doesn't that? No. Kind of makes me nauseated now. Uh, because I, I think I'm ignorant sensitive. <laughs> I think I'm sensitive because I was once ignorant and I was once, you know, believed a certain way and now I've changed my mind about the way I believe. The Lord's changed my mind about the way I believe. And so I'm kind of sensitive to what I may understand as ignorance. That sounds kind of arrogant. I don't believe I'm any better than anybody else. I don't believe I'm greater than anybody else in this room. We all have the same spirit living in us. <laughs> all right? I, I would say the only thing that's different from me now than what I once knew is that I'm a whole lot more freer than I was back then. There's a lot of pressure that's taken off my shoulders. As a pastor, as a teacher, uh, it... Is, is a different mindset. It's a totally different mindset. All I'm supposed to do is teach it, and I trust that the Spirit will do it. You, I, you get, you, and, and, and here's what I'll say. So you got the, those that are involuntarily ignorant. And then you've got those that are intentionally ignorant. That have heard this message about rest about Jesus says, I'm going to send you a spirit and he's going to come do it for you. Yet they will continue to believe what they have always been taught and always will teach because they don't want to be wrong. And so, come on, man, we got to work hard for the Lord. We got to go out and do it. We got to, all those things that we were taught, just keep pressing. This is our responsibility. This is our duty as believers. We got to go save the world. We got to go change things. We got to go do Christmas stockings. We got to do all this stuff. Keep the machine going. <clears throat> if that's intentional, I think that's what Jesus is talking about. There's a big difference between involuntarily ignorant and being intentionally ignorant. And those Jewish leaders, Annas, Caiaphas, and Pilate, were intentionally ignorant and they led their people down the wrong path. So when Jesus is sitting there saying, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing, he was speaking about his Jewish people that were being led down a wrong road. Look at John 19.23. It says this, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took His clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top, so they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. That's found in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. More prophecy fulfilled from the Old Testament. 
says, this is what the soldiers did. Let me back up to verse 19 in that same chapter. It says, Pilate, Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews. But that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Write what he said. Write what we're accusing him of what he said. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. You see, it was pretty normal as they crucified prisoners and criminals to put a sign of whatever they were guilty of above them. And Pilate decided to, (laughs) remember this, Pilate hated the Jews. He hated them. He'd do whatever he could to get under their skin. And now this decision's already been made. His hands have been washed. They made the decision. He's free. He's able to do whatever he wants. So watch this. I'm going to put a sign up there that says, he is the king of the Jews. And they're going to hate it. Because they don't want to be identified with Jesus as their king. And sure enough, they came to Pilate and said, no, 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 you need to change that. We don't want to... Did I just hit my microphone? Okay, good. We, we, don't, we don't want to be identified with Jesus as our king. Just say, this is what he said. I am the king of the Jews. <laughs> Pilate's like, no way. I'm leaving it just like it is. Sorry about you peoples. Refer, I'm going to refer to Matthew 27.39 right here. Matthew 27.39 says this. This is crazy right here. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. You know what we call that today? Bullying. Taunting. You're up there, there's nothing you can do. Jesus is crucified, and you got passerbyers that are just like yelling at him. Oh, you're so good. Come on. Show us what you got. You can do all these other things. Let's see you get yourself off the cross. I know my Jesus could have done it. I know the, the power of sin was probably like thumping him hard going, show him. Show him you can do it. Show him you can do it. Jesus is like, nope. Not going to do it. I'm staying right here. Watch. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. They're not going to believe. Seriously, if Jesus came down off that cross, they're not going to believe in him right there. That, That was just sarcasm, more bullying, more taunting. And so now not only do you have passerbyers going by, but now you've got the chief priest, you've got the high priest, 
You've got the scribes. You've got the Sanhedrin that are standing there just taunting him, yelling at him. It's not just the, the wanderers. They said, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he says, I am the Son of God. They're mocking him. Look at Luke 23, verse 36. says the soldiers also mocked him. Oh, <laughs> you got the passerbyers mocking him. You got the Sanhedrin, the chief priests mocking him. And now you got the Roman soldiers even mocking him. Like, this isn't even like their deal. They're laughing at him. It says even the leaders were scoffing. It says the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine. He said... If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. It says, and an inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Now you've got four different groups of people that have harassed Jesus while he's up on the cross. (laughs) Innocent man, can't do anything. We could. But he's just standing there, taking it. People just mocking him, walking by. Says this, then even one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. (laughs) Are you kidding me? It's like you've got everybody else down here doing it, and now even one of the guys hanging next to you is going to mock you. Says, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God? Since you're undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. So you've got everybody mocking him. You've got one criminal that's mocking him and another one that says, I believe he's innocent. And he calls him by name. Jesus, I I believe in you. One. And Jesus just says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. We know that paradise, we've explained this many times as we've gone throughout the Gospels. Sheol, Sheol and uh, Hades. Sheol is the Hebrew word. Hades is the Greek word for the underground. And in the underground, if you go to Luke chapter 16, we talk about Lazarus and the rich man. We know that there's two sides. There's the paradise side, which is also labeled as Abraham's bosom. And then there's the hell side. There's a ravine in between it based upon what we read in Luke chapter 16. He's saying, I'm going to be in paradise. I'm going to the underground. And today you will be there with me and you'll wait with all the people. You'll wait with all the people that have believed in the Messiah that is to come in paradise in Abraham's bosom together. And then when did they, when Jesus raised from the dead, they 
rose too and paradise was no more. But he's saying, you will be with me in paradise. Now jump to John 19.25. We wrap up here. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. You have to ask the question, why was Mary even there to see such an ordeal? If you go back to Luke chapter 2, which is like the chapter, the Christmas chapter that you'll read over and over this month, verse 34, it says this, Then Simon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fail and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. She was there based upon what Simon told her when Jesus was born. Verse 26, it says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. (laughs) You know the, the Christmas story, right? Jesus was born to a virgin. Who's Jesus' father? Don't say Joseph. Don't say Joseph. That was his earthly father, but his father was God in heaven. That was his father. Mary was his mom. So he was like the firstborn of Mary and Joseph. Then they had other kids. They had bro- he had brothers and sisters. And he's got his mom. He's hanging there on the cross. And he looks down at, at John, the disciple. And remember, John never identifies himself in his own writings. He's always referring to himself as the one Jesus loved, the beloved. So we believe that's John that Jesus is looking at. And he says, John is your mother. In other words, I need you to take care of my mom. I get that. Take care of my mom. He looks at mom and says, Mom, this is your son. He believes in me. I don't know if my other siblings do. They all think I'm crazy. John does. John believes he'll take care of you. It wasn't until like after Jesus raised from the dead and the resurrection that his own siblings believed that he was the Messiah. John did. Jesus knew. He said, take care. Then he said to his disciple, here's your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Who took care of Mary? John did. The one that Jesus loved. Three hours gone by. Nine to noon. And I'm going to leave you right there. I'm going to leave you right there. Father, uh, this morning, 
someone said to me, we don't realize how big sin is. I believe that's true because we don't truly understand all that you endured for us. The more that we can understand what you endured for us, the more we can understand the depth of our sin that you have forgiven us of. Wow. Uh, The greatest gift of all time. The greatest gift of all time is you going to the cross so that your blood could be poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. I pray that um, this Christmas that just rings true in the hearts of your people that we truly can comprehend what you have done for us. That you came here on earth in the form of a baby in the form of a flesh just to show us how you lived your life by another source. Teach us that every day. So Lord, I love you, and I thank you for uh, just this morning breaking into your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.